Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 80, Continuous Improvement and the Root Causes of Burnout with Mohammed Saleh. I hear it every day. It's the great resignation. People don't want to work anymore. It's true. People are exhausted. They're burned out, especially in healthcare and in many other workplaces as well. Mohammed Saleh knows what it takes to address the root causes of burnout, and it won't be a big surprise to those of you in Continuous Improvement. It's the getting it done that's the hard part. He's here to share his insights. This is a great episode to watch on YouTube so you can see Mohammed's slides. But if you listen instead, we're going to describe the visual component for you. Mohammed Saleh, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you here. I have to say I'm a little disappointed that you're not wearing a hat because every time I've seen you before, you have a hat. And, and uh, that was actually how you were pointed out to me at a conference once. So I said I said to a friend of mine, who's that guy in the hat? <laughs> that was you. <laughs> so, but, and, and obviously for those of you who are listening, you wouldn't even see the hat if you were wearing it. But it's, uh, it's I think it's a bit of a trademark for you. It is, so, it is. It's, it's become weird to wear it in the house. <laughs> I know, yeah. Polite people don't wear hats in the house, yeah. Mostly, yeah. Def- definitely, <laughs> mostly, yeah. My, I, I have to say, my eight-year-old grandson has taken a wearing a hat to wearing a hat in the house. So it, oh, it's, that's uh, awesome! That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 very cute. Um, so tell us, Mohammed, tell us about what it is that you do and how. What was your path to where you were today? Oh, what a great question. Um, Well, I started off as a mechanical engineer designing seats for airplanes um, of a division of Boeing. Uh, If you would ask my wife nowadays what I do, she'll tell you I'm a recovering mechanical engineer. Uh, And and around 20 years ago, um, maybe a little bit more than that at this point, um, an occupation health physician at at one of our sites uh, who happened to be also the CEO of a medical group advised me to come into healthcare. Um, And so... um, From Boeing. So you went from Boeing to healthcare. Yeah. Uh, And and, uh, I remember telling him that this doesn't apply to healthcare. This is a manufacturing thing. And uh, and he was like, well, just come on in. And after six months, if you don't like it, I'll keep paying you until you you, you find uh, something that works for you. Um, and so uh, it seemed like too good of a deal to uh, say no to. And so I moved into healthcare. Um, and uh, I've been in healthcare the majority of my career now, uh, really focused. I have some clients that are outside of healthcare, uh, but I would say almost 80% at this point of my clients are all healthcare related. Um, and so is that is that like big hospital systems, small practices, everything? Everything in between. I, I lean towards big hospital systems in general because I like to look at the continuum of care of a patient from beginning to end, where if it's episodic, like a primary care office or a lab or something like that, you don't really get to see the whole experience of that patient uh-huh. from being sick all the way to being cured and going through the hospital, home care, skilled nursing facilities, all that stuff. And so I've uh, I've recently been more 
excited about bigger systems um, because I could really make a huge impact there. Um, the, but the smaller ones, um, you know, they, they, they're impacting patients too. So I, I don't discriminate really between them other than I just have a bigger impact on bigger systems. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see how that is. So, so right now in healthcare, one of the things that I observed was that the kind of at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, uh, when hospitals were just like looking at, you know, how do we deal with this crisis and restructuring? There are a lot of people, a lot of a lot of healthcare systems were letting their letting their lean people go and kind of kind of sending them out. And then this kind of this weird thing happened, which was that the the healthcare providers themselves, the nurses, the doctors, everybody else, had to figure out how to run lean processes in the face of the pandemic. So they learned a lot, I think, when they were doing that. I was, have you seen a result of that? How's Oh, that's what a great question. <clears throat> so I, I'm just going to backtrack just a little bit to kind of bring that question into light a little bit more. Right before the pandemic, um, I was working on my doctorates uh, trying to prove that lean doesn't work um, and, uh, and trying to understand all the drivers and everything underneath it that actually what are the organizational socio characteristics that help either impede or accelerate transformations or organizational changes. And in, in that, um, the pandemic hit. Um, and so uh, during during that time, um, a lot of the research I was working on of trying to understand organizational socio characteristics and understanding how does the cultural domain fit, how does the change domain fit, how does the leadership domain fit, um, how does some of their intrinsic factors fit, like a big organization versus uh, a small organization, a union versus non-union, a um, uh, an old organization versus a new organization, how does that play into organizational change? Um, and so as I started looking into that, uh, the pandemic really brought to light a lot of the issues that healthcare systems face today. Um, uh -huh. they, they weren't caused because of the pandemic. The pandemic just made it visible um, because of the, of, the, of the constraints of what we're having. But what I did see in, in many organizations that did not take the path of, you know what, we're tight, so let's let people go. I've seen uh, other organizations that really embrace and say, you know, we need bigger lean departments. This is the time that change is needed. And so why would we get rid of our change agents at the time that we need the most change? Um, and so they were- smart. That, That's the smart way to look at it, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so repurposing schools and auditoriums and skilled nursing facilities and, and, uh, and, and even dorms and campuses to kind of repurpose more beds uh, so that we could deal with the pandemic really, really pushed us um, uh, into a place where we we discovered in ourselves that we, we could be nimble if we chose to, and all the bureaucracy that was there just disappeared. Um, but it also talks about focus, and, and some of the things I'll be talking about today is how does that focus work? Um, and so because uh, when you're trying to do 100 things, uh, you won't get any of them done. But because of the COVID, right. there was only one thing that you had to focus on, uh, and it was it was a crisis, and so um, that was really um, a, a really tough time, but also a, a huge evolution to healthcare. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I don't think that we've seen all the ramifications yet, and I know that one of the things that, that's really happening now, that, you know, that started during the pandemic. Or I guess it was present before the pandemic, but you know, really, really was exacerbated during the pandemic, and now we're seeing the result of it. Especially now with you know with, with this sort of this triple virus situation that's going on right now, the respiratory viruses with, with the flu, mm -hmm. with the respiratory syncytial virus, and with COVID has not gone away, folks. I know we would like to think it has, 
that um, that a lot of people in healthcare have have either already burned out or are on the verge of burning out or experiencing burnout. Mm -hmm. And so you've really been looking at this. So so tell us tell us about that. First of all, what is burnout? What a great question. What a great question. All right. So let me um, jump into it um, and, and talk a little bit about burnout from um, just understanding what drives burnout. So um, burnout is the it's, it's a manifestation of certain symptoms, but they're driven by certain things. The first thing, and if anyone has read Dr. Paul DeChant's uh, book around uh, physician burnout, uh, that's really where all my, my learning started from around burnout and how to create um, an organization that really both respects individuals, but also creates, um, uh, brings back joy of medicine. Um, and so the first driver um, that uh, Dr. DeChant talks about is um, the workload that the organization, the healthcare organizations have right now on their plate. Um, and there is such a significant workload. Um, there's a chaotic environments. The time pressures are just non unrealistic to many people. And the information overload, either through email fatigue or through um, uh, Epic or Cerner or through any of the kind of uh, venues that you could get communicated through, is just overwhelming. Um, and so... I, that that is all bucketed um, under Dr. Duchamp's work around work overload. Um, the second driver that we I've seen um, that has really been speaking to me is organizations, and I'm specifically talking about healthcare here, um, around them feeling like they lost control. That's the leadership mm. side and the clinical side. Um, and so you see nurses and physicians leaving their careers to do something completely different now because they feel of this loss of control. Um, and, 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 and unfortunately, something like the pandemic around COVID and even the flu, one that's really going crazy right now, um, is, um, is a loss of control. Right. And you cannot... You know, when we think about work overload, you know, the first thing that we think about in lean is, well, okay, so let's let's see if we can manage the incoming work, right? We want to we want to level load our processes, and we want to make sure that we're reducing volatility and all those good things you do. But if you know, there's one kid in a school who is infecting the rest of the school, right? There's yeah. not a lot that you can do about. It. I mean, you can, you know, you. From a prevention point of view, you can tell everyone to get a flu shot, but but you don't have that that just just that incoming workload. There is very little, you know. How how do you control that? And then, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, I have listeners all over the world, right? So in the U.S., there's there's all these. Issues around well who's really in charge in the hospital system right is it the company that owns the, the hospital system or the organization that owns the hospital system is it practices doctors practices or is it uh, a union you know like who's who's actually in charge here um and it may be different in other countries that have different healthcare systems but that this is this is i think really a worldwide problem right that it's you know it's 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 just i think uh, the U.S. Of, is even a bit crazier. Yeah, and I get a lot of um, uh, people that uh, either use me as a sounding board or just get my advice on things that they could do. And literally, they're from all the corners of the world. Um, mm. I had a conversation uh, yesterday with someone from uh, Dubai. 
Um, and he was telling me about something that they were working on and that he has a, um, his, his partner is working in Scotland. Um, and, um, and he was telling me about, they have very similar challenges around burnout and, and people are also like just leaving healthcare there as well. So it's, you're right. It's, it's not a, a U.S. problem. It's a, a national problem. Um, I, I unfortunately don't have the experience outside of the U.S. Um, no. yeah. personally to be able to see it firsthand, but based on what I'm hearing, it seems like a national issue or a, a global issue. International. Yeah. Yeah. The third driver is insufficient rewards when people feel like they're not getting appreciated or valued um, or recognized. Um, that is a driver that will cause burnout. If, you, if you're working your butt off and no one's thanking you at the end of the day, uh, that's going to get old really quick. Um, the other one is um, you, we see a, a breakdown of community. Um, and so um, you could see even if you personalize it to your home. Like if you're completely burned out, what happens? You take it out on the, those closest to you. Mm -hmm. um, and that breaks up that community. And so if you magnify that as a healthcare system or you magnify that as um, uh, as a, gl a global system, um, there's, there was significant breakdown in some communities. And you, you even see it today where, where um, or maybe not as much today as maybe a year ago, where some patients were very aggressive with the healthcare organizations um, and to the point of being disrespectful and rude um, and demanding things that healthcare was just unable to, to deliver on right now. Um, and then um, the other one that creates uh, a, a, one of the drivers um, is uh, absence of fairness when the injustice is happening to you. Um, and unfortunately, um, th that is something that we see a lot of these days. Um, I'm trying to understand the root cause behind it. Um, still haven't figured that one out. But there is um, a, a direct correlation that I'm seeing between insufficient rewards and absence of fairness. But absence of fairness could be I'm promoting someone over you even though you earned it. Um, right. Absence of fairness could be um, I'm favoring someone over you to do Project X. Uh, even though you're burnt out and working very hard, but you're now being viewed almost as a um, uh, as a non-performer, even though you're their shining star. Um, and so um, absence of fairness could be manifested in many, many ways. Um, and is that, is, is that then exacerbated or, or built on some of the inequities that are already in, in our society, right? So if you're looking, if, if somebody is already treated in a way that is that is not with equity because of the color of their skin or their religion or their accent or whatever, you know, or the educational level, whatever it is, this at a burnout full system, that that's going to be feel and look worse and, and maybe more acceptable actually. Yeah, yeah, you're you're a hundred percent you're a hundred percent right there. Um, and then the last one is conflicting values. Um, is when the organization is asking you to do something that doesn't align with your values. Um, and so um, th those I would say um, are the top six drivers that came out of Dr. Dechan's work. Now that's work work overload, loss of control, insufficient reward, breakdown of community, absence of fairness, and conflicting values. And Mohammed, this is not just in healthcare, right? No, you you work in healthcare, but you yeah. have just described what it's like to work in a lot of different places. Absolutely, I have a client that uh, I worked with in the uh, in the school systems, uh, kindergarten through twelfth grade, and helping transform their organization. And it was forty eight schools. 
Um, I've been working with um, people in uh, uh, energy and electricity companies, um, and uh, these apply to all of them. Um, I've in manufacturing this apply like this. This is uh, universal. The the thing I want to point out in these six uh, that you just articulated is that these six manifest in two different ways. The work overload one, which includes chaotic work environment, time pressure, and information overload, is manifested, or at least we see it from a behavioral standpoint around emotional exhaustion. Um, and things like well-being centers um, um, really help with the emotional exhaustion that's there because if not treated well, um, we've seen a global, our, our suicide rate around the country is the highest it's ever been. Um, and so, um, and so understanding the emotional exhaustion of work overload, and then the other five really come down to cynicism. So when you see someone being very cynical of everything that you do, usually one of those five are driving it. Um, and so if it's loss of control, insufficient reward, breakdown of community, absence of fairness or conflicting values, those manifest themselves into cynicism. <clears throat> And then yeah. when someone is when someone is cynical, then even if you come in with some kind of an intervention, some kind of a countermeasure, it's going to be very hard for them to play nicely with that, right? They're going to, they're going to look at it cynically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, um, uh, you know, what you, you you bring up something really uh, powerful here because um, I'm I'm doing a, a present um, a, a workshop at, um, a conference, uh, the Lean Frontiers conference that I'm I'm going to be talking about those, those characteristics, um, and one of those characteristics is resistance to change. Um, mm. And um, and uh, sometimes people relate resistance to change of fear of change, um, but the really um, Cynicism, it creates a lot of resistance to change. And if you don't understand that the, the root cause here is burnout and that these are the driving root causes behind them, um, then your intervention around cynicism is going to be left short. Right, right. If if I don't believe that I will be treated fairly in this change that you're proposing, I will definitely resist it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Dr. Duche is he said, in the end of the day, <clears throat> this does present us with an opportunity. Um, and if anyone is familiar with Dr. Duche, he uh, led the medical group at Sutter Health Gold and, um, and, and, and had significant success there as the, the CEO. And one of the things that he came up with as an opportunity, um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, is um, in order to address the manifestation of emotional exhaustion through the driver of work overload, um, the opportunity that is presenting itself is two opportunities. The first one is work-life balance. Um, and the second one is the capacity for discretionary effort. Do people have the capacity to do discretionary effort? And if they're 120% overloaded, um, <clears throat> they don't yeah. have any capacity for discretionary effort. And that could even be kindness. Um, and then when you look at the other five, which are, uh, are manifested as cynicism, <clears throat> the opportunity that's presenting itself is around empowerment and engagement. And so the four things that I'm really going to be um, talking about as I go through the systems and as I go through 13 mistakes I have made personally in my career that have created more burnout um, that really come down to those four opportunities, work-life balance, capacity for discretionary effort, empowerment, and engagement. Um, and so those are great opportunities, but the capacity for discretionary effort is sometimes overlooked, um, but the other three are very noticeable right now in healthcare. 
Well, and I just want to let people know, for those of you who are listening, if you if you look for this podcast, The Edges of Lean on YouTube, uh, you can also see the slides that Mohammed is sharing. Thank you. So let's talk about, I keep talking, I said systems a few times. Um, I'm, there's four systems that are prime, I would, what I consider primary systems. I'm, I'm sure some might disagree with me that there's many more systems. There is, but the four that I'm really focused on right now is the first one is our system to execute on our strategy. Um, I use the term strategy deployment. Others have used terms like Koshin Connery or policy deployment. Um, it goes by many names. <clears throat> but in the end of the day is how do we take our strategic initiatives and break those into action plans that move the dial on certain metrics and then have a shared understanding of what those initiatives are and what those metrics are throughout the entire chain of command, which translates um, things like a value stream that's at the top level all the way down to Kaizans and pilots, which translates things like annual improvement priorities, like acquisitions into projects. Those projects get then cascaded into tasks and making sure that everyone in the chain of command is rowing in the same direction. And so that's one system that uh, some people call the execution system. Um, originally, I was taught it was called the management of control system. Um, and then later on, realized it was called Hoshin Connery. And then later on, I realized some people are calling it strategy deployment. And that resonated for healthcare a lot more than both the Japanese words and um, management of control didn't seem like something anyone wanted to say. Um, but what that does, it allows, it allows that true north of guidance um, for the organization to grow. Right, so you have so you have this this picture of a of a of a of a rocket headed towards the true north, presumably, mm -hmm. and then the um, the deployment. The yes, yeah, the the deployment um, into the organization. I don't want to say down, but but that's the way the picture is yep. of 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 levels of um, of. Turning, turning True North into a, an improvement priority, um, all the way down to, to tasks that would be performed by individual people from day to day. And, and what I love about this, this particular picture is the other two-way arrows, right? Because it's not just about somebody at the top that says, this is what we're going to do, and then everybody must do it, figure out how to do it. There's, it's, it's a two-way conversation. There's the, what we like to call catch ball. Um, where, where people talk about what's really possible and then challenged and um, to find other ways to do things. And um, yeah, it's a great picture. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things before I move from this, because it's not going to really be talked about in my the 13 mistakes that I've made, um, is that when you have this effect where everyone has that shared understanding, that same mental model of what's happening and what they could actually help contribute to, one of the things I'm seeing right now because of burnout is that um, what, you know, usually I, I would be engaged with, say, a heart and vascular institute and looking at, you know, our cardiology, uh, you know, heart attacks, let's say. Uh, but then I'm also working with organizations uh, with uh, service lines or institutes that are looking at uh, stroke patients. Um, and then I have another one that's looking at oncology patients and cancer patients. Um, and, you know, as an example that we're like in the midst of conversations today is each one of those three want to do work around their readmission uh, and reduce the readmission. And they realize because of bandwidth and lack of resources across the system, maybe if all three of them partnered on the same initiative, um, they might have better luck getting the resources. And so people are becoming a little bit more nimble of figuring out I cannot not hit this. Uh, I can't not mm -hmm. like, have the impact and the goals I need. But maybe if three of us work on the same thing together, 
it would be a lot less, um, uh, you know, we wouldn't have to steal from each other in order to get our initiatives resolved. And that's- Break down the silos, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, what that helps is bringing back control to those leaders to say, if you do it together, you can get these resources when you ask for it. And so you are in more of a control situation. The second one is uh, the daily management system, something that's very near and dear to my heart, something that I really usually start most of my conversations with um, because it creates a nest or a um, uh, uh, almost like a, uh, what is it called? A, um, a basket to catch all those action items and strategies that are coming down from the strategy deployment. And a lot of times we'll put all these events or value stream events or Kaizans or improvement ideas, and then it, they won't stick. Uh, because we don't have a sustainment net uh, to be able to have them stick. And so one of the things that I love about um, daily management and, 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 and on the slide here, I just have a picture of one of my clients um, of what they do is that they really try to articulate when we when we look at this system is one of the issues that we had was around um, those five that we had talked about and really trying to understand, okay, if one of my opportunities is empowerment and engagement, this is a very powerful system for that. Um, and because what it does, and um, you know, at least my senseis used to tell me, Muhammad, are you fertilizing the soil? Um, this is fertilizing the soil. And so when you try to create those roots in the ground, we call management by support. Um, and, and that's what really the, this performance engine is meant for. It's meant for to be able to sustain the gains that you have. And so- And, you, and it just keeps it, it keeps it front of mind for people, right? It's a, it's, it's it's not that I, you know, I'm going to get to my improvement project after I get all the other work done. We're, it's, we're, it's part of the work we do, and we're going to talk about it every day. Yeah, yeah. And if you, if you want to talk about cynicism, um, like uh, this is one of those tools that if you're trying to create um, or reduce cynicism in your organization, this, this system has huge impact um, on that. Um, I'm going to stick to on daily management just for a second. The other piece, which is a, a, a piece of that system, and sometimes it's get, it gets called out as, as, as something on its own, is leader standard work. And understanding that just like people on the front lines have standard work, they have discipline, uh -huh. um, we need to have that same rigor around how we support our teams. And a lot of people do daily management without the leader standard work. I'm going to talk about that as one of the mistakes uh, that, that I've seen is that in absence of leader standard work, just don't do daily management. It's a waste of time. Um, and so leader standard work is the, is, is the work. Um, the, the, the visual board is just a depository of that work. And so if you don't do the work, what are you going to put on your board? Um, and so um, I, I, one of the things that we're going to be talking about in a minute is really understanding what are these. In the picture that I have here, I just have a, a ball that says the lean gains and the thing that holds that up is the leader standard work because in absence of that, the force of habit is just going to get reduce all or get rid of almost some of the improvements that you've done and kind of backtrack you to where you are, which creates more cynicism and actually right. a, a driver of absence of fairness. Um, See, I told you that it was going to be another flavor of the month, right? Because, yeah, yep, because yep. nothing really changed and the boss, the boss keeps doing what the boss does, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And while we're still on daily management, because it's just, it is a complex system, um, also having the tiered huddles uh, mm -hmm. and the tiered structure to say, hey, if you do this on the front line, okay, and you run into a barrier, how are we going to help support you and resolve that same day at the next level up, say the director level? And in the picture I have here, I just have four different 
tiers um, and at each altitude, uh, there's a responsibility of supporting that front line. And so if we want to say we're, uh, you know, patient first or customer centric, then that tier four and that tier three and that tier two have a responsibility to actually go out there and actually do this. And we'll talk about that in a minute too. Now, another system, which is sometimes accredited to all of Lean, um, is the production system, the value stream. And so, and that's where Kaizen's come in. That's where a lot of the Lean tools that are very, people are very familiar with, like standard work and 5S and TPM and quick changeover, pull flow, mistake proofing, all that stuff is fun and exciting and helps redesign the workflow. Um, that could be our flow, could be in a healthcare setting. I have a picture here of a value stream of a healthcare. Um, uh, a patient that went through a primary care office um, and just some of the tools that you would see used for continuous improvement around the production system. And that is something that is, um, is, is sometimes when people think lean, that's all they think about. Um, that's the operational side. There's the management side, which are the other two systems I just talked about. And um, that's, uh, that's the piece, Mohammed, that I think is is that we make a big mistake, and I'm, I'm about, you might talk about this, we make a big mistake when we go into an organization and say, let's map out the value stream, and you don't map out the management system. Mm -hmm. Because because the management system is like this, this glue that holds yep. the whole thing together or impedes it, you know, or whatever it does. And our pictures, our value stream maps don't make it visible. Yeah, yeah. My sensei would always tell me um, you doing a value stream without the management system is like you putting a plant in, in the dark with no soil. Uh -huh. um, and then asking That's great, why yeah. it's not growing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, the last system before I go into the 13 mistakes is uh, the people system, my favorite system out of the four. Um, and is is almost never talked about um, and and uh, in, in, which is mind blowing for me because, you know, even at Toyota, when they were asked about the Toyota production system or the Toyota management system, their response to that was, you know, I wish we would have named it differently. Um, I wish we would have named it the, 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 the people development system uh, because that's mm -hmm. really what we're doing. And I'm, I'm not a person that just copies Toyota. I, I tried to prove that it didn't work. Um, and I accidentally discovered that it does. Um, and, uh, but it does require those organizational socio characteristics to, to, to give you input on what they could do. But in, 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 in all essence, it's, it all comes down to the people system. And so if you're not invested, people should be working for you to help grow um and um help improve your uh, organization and the venue they use as their job whatever that job may be um and so how we align their development both on a potential side from a behavioral standpoint and a performance side from a technical standpoint becomes really instrumental because i could then if i know how i'm going to develop this person based on whatever their succession planning is i know okay this person needs more work on critical thinking okay let me put him in this kaizen and see how he operates and maybe then take him back and say all right what did you learn from that all right i noticed this person has a problem of staying focused so maybe i put him on a few teams that help narrow and focus certain things rather than try to do 100 things at the same time and so as i grow leaders i need to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are their potential and their performance um, so I can understand how to align my lean teachings to that and also how if, if one of the reasons people get uh, their cynicism is that they feel there's insufficient rewards well then I could align all my rewards and recognition around their development 
Um, and so now they're entering a Kaizen because it's part of the development journey. They're not entering it just because this checkbox that they need to be able to give something to the organization where the organization actually could give them something back. Um, and, and this would help with fairness too, wouldn't it? Because now the you know, perception of lack of fairness, because if I know that my development is specific to me and my where I want to strengthen my strengths or, or improve, improve things that need to be improved, and it's specific to what I need to help me be a better, stronger person, then I'm not going to worry as much about what, you know, somebody else's assignment or somebody else's promotion, right? Because I will, I have faith that, that, that I have, I'm getting what I need. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the reason I said, this is my favorite system. And the one I'm, I'm, I'm really focused on the most out of those three, because I, I work on all four equally. Uh, but the, the the importance of this one is that we're in the middle of the great resignation right now. Uh -huh. uh, we're still in it. And so if people want to hold on to people, they really have to come down to three basic things. Um, and that is the first one of those basic things is behave correctly as a leader. Um, and, um, you know, what are those ideal behaviors that you could demonstrate so that people could replicate them? Um, and, and one of the things I've learned is behaviors come through systems. I have to design a system that produces a certain behavior. I can't just ask the person to behave differently without changing the system. Um, and so, uh, because the system will always win. Uh, it's the immune system. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, um, and so if, since we're in this great resignation, the people system becomes even more critical than the other three. So, so, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, so with that said, I'm going to go into uh, four buckets of it. I, 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 you know, I believe all frameworks are wrong. I, I heard someone tell me this before, <laughs> uh, but some are helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Peter Drucker may, might have said it. Um, and, um, and, uh, and, and that's a hundred percent true. And so this is a framework. It's not perfect. It's one I use. It's helped me organize my thinking when I go through organizational change. And the first phase that I go into here, uh, that I'm about to talk about is, um, the commitment phase. And in the commitment phase, when I say the word commitment phase is think of going into an organization and this organization says, we want to do lean. Okay, and so now we're having a commitment conversation. Um, uh, are you gonna commit to this or is this a flavor of the month? And uh -huh. so in that phase, we need to understand the why. We need to outline the relationship between this lean office and the organization and understanding the, the exchange that's going to happen because we can't have this be a transactional conversation. Um, we have to make you think differently. And so you, do you know that? Um, do you know that that's what you're saying yes to? And so, and do we have buy-in by all your stakeholders uh, that are going to be responsible uh, to help move this change? Um, so the first mistake I've done um, at, in, in this domain is uh, doing lean without knowing the why. Mistake number one, um, adopting lean without knowing the why. That is um, so common, unfortunately. It, yeah, it's very I, common, yeah. I'll ask people, so why are you doing lean? I have some frank people that would say because our competitors are doing them. Um, I have uh -huh. people we're doing lean because we heard that's the best thing. And then you get into conversations about Lean Six Sigma and Agile and Scrum and blah, 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 all these other methodologies that are coming out these days. Um, and so um, you, you start having the wrong conversation. Um, no, no, why are you doing this? And so um, if someone wants to avoid this mistake, all I could tell you is it's very hard to. 
because many, many senior leaders that I've encountered don't know what they're saying yes to. So the well, I think I think the challenge is also what you know when you think about if you've been doing lean, been involved in lean for a long time. Every day you have a new revelation, right, about what it is, how powerful it can be, how how it can change, and you know, and how how it can backfire, right? Yeah. That is not something that you could give. You can give to somebody in a little box and say, "All right, here's here's why you should do lean." Because even if they, you say the words, that that understanding only comes through practice, and and so I I I agree with you that you know a lot of people are going to do it without knowing why, mm -hmm. but somebody needs to have some inkling of why, right? That's, that's what you're saying. Somebody's somebody's got to understand that it's more than flavor of the month, or I'm just doing it because my competitors are doing it. Yeah. And usually when people ask me, like, is there any tracks I could think through when I'm thinking about the why, I usually give them two. The first one is, this is going to require you to think differently. Are you okay with that? Um, uh -huh. And uh, because if you're not okay about the, you thinking differently, um, then we're going to have a problem. Because the core of this to be successful is to change how you think. Um, um, it is not the tools. Um, and so, um, knowing that that's, I would say advice. Number one, advice. Number two would at least have a purpose. Um, and so, um, and the purpose can't be to do lean. That's a lever. Um, and so the, the purpose could be, I want to save lives. That's a purpose. Um, and I, I, I could back that one to say, I'm doing all these efforts. I'm doing lean because I want to reduce, you know, door to needle time for stroke patients by 50% that could save half of these people's lives. Okay. I could back that up. Um, that's why we're doing lean. I'm seeing right. patients commit suicide and, uh, because of burnout and we want to be able to improve the workplace, not the worker. Um, and so I'm doing lean because I want to reduce the number of clicks. I want to reduce their work-life balance. I want to give them back control. Uh, because the purpose here is to reduce suicides. That's the big purpose. Um, and so uh, that's the change that we're trying to do. But to do it because the why is because you're copying it from your competitor is not. It's right, not right, right. It's, yeah, it's, to, it's to achieve your, your true north. It's to. Yeah. The, the other thing here uh, that I think is it's worth noting too is that a lot of people um, try to create a burning platform for this. And uh, I don't believe in burning platforms. I believe in um, uh, urgent priorities. Um, but burning platform for me comes from a place of fear. Yeah. Um, it doesn't come from a place of psychological safety. And if there's anything this slide is going to tell you is that the, the most important behavior is how am I going to get people to not fear me? Um, and so if I can't create psychological safety, all of this effort is a waste of everyone's time. Right, right. So that's number one. Number two, in this still the, this commitment phase, is when you're building a lean office and trying to create that relationship, at least in healthcare, what I notice people are doing is they're recruiting from within healthcare. Um, and they're not only recruiting within healthcare, they're recruiting people that are similar to their thinking. And so they are not going to challenge their status quo. Um, they actually will fight and argue with 
outside people of why we're doing the way we're doing it. Um, and so, uh, right, you don't understand. You don't. You don't work don't, in healthcare. You can't possibly understand why we do it this way. This is yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And so, like um, I, one of my prior clients, um, it, it was uh, is a uh, is in Connecticut, uh, a thirty five thousand employee healthcare system, and um, it, it, in that, um, I, I've seen a, a lot of that. And what I ended up doing, I had a team of thirty. Um, practitioners, seven of them were senseis, I started recruiting from every industry outside of healthcare. Um, now, I had a bunch of facilitators and one sensei that was from healthcare, but the rest, I had one person from Mass Mutual, one person from Pratt & Whitney, so an aerospace company, one person from a nuclear industry, one person from uh, the gaming, from a casino, they were doing lean there. So, like, it was just a variety of, across, like, different diverse people that came. I had someone from restaurants um, and that was doing lean in there, and so when they these people came in at top of their industry... Um, they really even challenged the way I was thinking uh, because I've been in healthcare for 20 years. I'm actually more, less objective now. And so, um, and uh, so yeah. but the, to get people to consider that took me like four years um, to be able to say, you know what, we can't keep bringing from within. Now I'm going to say that I've seen people do the, the extreme other end where they didn't hire anyone from um, outside. Uh, sorry, they hired everyone from the outside and no one from internal. That's wrong too, because the tribal knowledge is equally needed. Um, right, and right. And there's, I mean, we've I've certainly seen that as well. When you know, bringing somebody from outside and and you know, some there are sometimes really legitimate reasons that people have to do things in a certain way. And if you say if you come from a non-regulated industry into a regulated regulated industry, you're not always going to give the best uh, advice and support. You, you've right. got to understand those things. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So so there's that. Um, the biggest mistake you could do when you, you're not diversifying your lean talent is to couple that with trying to be penny wise and pound foolish and give them the least you possibly could pay them. And the other biggest disaster you can make in this situation is start putting your low performer people that you don't know what to do with, but you can't fire them into the lean office. Put them um, in the lean office, yeah. Yeah, and so- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, those are those are great mistakes too. And the last mistake in this domain is um, the commitment phase. Yeah, in the commitment phase is uh, avoiding the resistors. I made this mistake many times. Um, I'll go into an organization. Hey, who wants to talk to them, Mohammed? Could be come on. <laughs> so um, avoiding those resistors, I think, is a huge thing because a lot of times. Um, I paid for it two or three years later where these people now almost despised lean. Uh, and so because uh, they were resisting, then they got ignored. And then now they're, and they're a significant department player. And each organization I go to, it's not the same departments that are doing it, but you'll see in some department organizations, you know, uh, like say IT or HR or finance, a lot of the support services you'll see resist because they care or resist because they want to understand. But I've seen a lot of lean practitioners and I'm the first person that, to say, I've done this mistake to say, I go into an organization, I'm going to go where the pull is, whoever's resisting me, I'm just going to ignore. Right. Um, right. And uh, which sounds great in theory, uh, because you can't be distracted by that, but in the same time, you will pay for that later and it could actually take down your whole effort. And so uh, just be mindful of who, how you read it's, it's, um, it's, it's an art. And so you want to bring them along, but they, they can't monopolize your time. 
So that's the first phase, the commitment phase. The second phase is the assessment phase. And that's when we get to now that they're committed, they both, they understand the why, they outline the relationship, they're gaining now the stakeholder buy-in. Now we need to assess the current state. We need to align and design what that transformational plan will look like. And so the first mistake that I have seen in the assessment phase is getting fascinated by the tools um, and copying them. And I just had a client um, uh, a few months ago who went and visited a site uh, that was, I would say, one of the best in class uh, areas and came back and said, oh, we need to buy that software. Oh, we need to put this up. We need to copy their, um, their uh, onboarding. We need to do this. We need to do that. Everything they said were they were copying tools and they missed the whole tour because the whole tour is to look for the invisible, to look, are people happy? Do they understand their contributions? Um, do they, do they feel respected? Do they feel that their leaders are humble? Do they feel that they trust their leaders? These are all invisible things. Um, that's what you copy. Uh, you don't copy the tools. Uh, the tools will only get you so far. So copying the invisible is really the secret. And a lot of people, unfortunately, in the beginning of the Toyota production system, we were just copying tools. I, I was one of them. Um, you know, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but and it's, a, it's, it's a super common mistake because, because, again, it's about not understanding what, what the system really is, right? And so... And so it's it's very easy to go and, and look at, at somebody else's countermeasure to a problem that they're in the process of solving, which they may change in a couple of weeks anyway, but you don't know that, to go and look at their countermeasure and say, I need that countermeasure when you haven't understood your own problem yet. It's it's this is a very, very common um, issue. People get yeah. people get especially excited when you know when they when they see a they see a visual management board or some really cool software and they go, Oh yeah, I need that. If I had that, I I Everything would be my great. problems yeah. would be gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and so, uh, but that is a mistake I've done. Um, and so I I could see why other people's would make it. But what I would ask you to do is, if you're actually going through the assessment phase, is try to understand the culture, and then uh, we, yeah, um, and then we could figure out what we need to change. Because again, all this is a waste of time if there's no psychological safety. For in my world, that's a prerequisite to all of this. And if people are fearful of speaking up, then all this has to wait until you get that in place. Um, which means leaders have to be vulnerable. Leaders have to go out there. They have to talk about their mistakes. They have to uh, invite feedback um, and 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 have people open up before they put these things in place. Because the work, well, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's, okay. but that, that, that is a huge mistake. You start copying the visible and ignoring the invisible. And you're not even doing your, you should be doing an assessment, but you're already jumping to, to Solution. putting solutions. Yeah. 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 My, my, uh, yeah. The, the next piece in the assessment phase or the next mistake I've made in the assessment phase is trying to please everybody. Um, when you go into an organization and you want to know where to start. What I have learned um, through the very hard ways is that you have to be very, very narrow and very, very deep, which means if the organization has 850 departments, let's say, pick a customer, let's call them an oncology breast cancer patient, okay, and just see what who touches that patient and only start with that go very deep and fix something. Uh, and so fix an experience. And so if, if the experience is to give better care to breast cancer patients, who touches them? 
and let's go make them a demonstration area for everyone. Um, some books call them model cells. Some people mm -hmm. call them mm -hmm. houses. Some people call them uh, centers of excellence. Um, um, I, I, some people call them demonstration units. Um, it, it doesn't matter what you call it. Uh, what does matter is that you don't go wide and shallow because you, everyone wants it. Um, sometimes you do go in an organization and it is, it is looked at as the flavor of the month and everyone is excited about it. Um, that's your honeymoon phase. Um, that's, that's going to be very short lived very quickly. <laughs> um, but if you try to please everyone there, the, in, in there, in an organization that's already burnt out, the cynicism that will come against you because of that is going to be very great. And if you're the CEO or if you're a senior leader, or if you're a lean practitioner, you're the ones that are going to pay for that. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. So, so um, looking at a patient type or looking at a customer type and seeing all who touch them and just ignore everyone else and create a cell for that um, is really what you want to start with in the assessment phase. When Because the assessment phase produces a plan, a transformation plan. Right. The next phase, and so we talked about the commitment phase, the assessment phase, and the mistakes in that. The next phase is the deployment phase which is exciting because people rush to that. There's no commitment. We really don't know the problem. We have no clue what the plan is going to be, but let's just go into daily management. We're going to do it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's just do it. Um, and so the first mistake I've made in this is, uh, well, you're going to ask people to think differently uh, in this new system. You got to train them. Um, and a lot of leaders have this phobia of going to the gimba or the place of activity. And so I have a ah. slide here that just says, you know, this dirty glove phobia. Um, that th is a very common term that I've used uh, of people at the top just don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to do this. They don't want to attend a Kaizen. They don't want like that's beneath them. Um, and when you talk about all, all the other thing I've heard, and I've and I've heard, and I've heard it, you know, from a lot of different levels of the organization, is if this person's in the room, we're not going to be able to be honest or, or, or we're not going to be able to share our ideas because they don't have psychological safety right. yet. And it's such a great way for that leader to start practicing being a psychologically safe person to be around, right? To be in the room or to be out, you know, to be there out there at the workplace while the change is, is being planned and, and being implemented and to start to work on their own behavior. It's it's such a rich opportunity. But I have been told we don't want that person here that, you know, because they're too scary. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing around this, too, is I've seen this as well, is I ha like I have a, a client that I'm working with right now, a large healthcare system. And the, the, the senior vice president, uh, the, the chief medical officer, who also happens to be a president of the medical group, um, he takes him and his entire team two days every other month to get a deep dive into training and then spends that time between that training and the next training to go to the place of activity, the gimba, and actually exercise on these things. Um, and so- um, Wow, that's great. The, the, the training though is the exercise in the gimba. It's not in the room. And mm -hmm. so if, people, if leaders are just getting trained in a classroom and that's all they're getting, that is, that's not effective. Um, they have to be out there and doing it. They have to participate. And the other mistake I've made in this domain when I'm deploying something uh, specifically around strategy deployment is what I call plan, do, walk away, PDW. Uh, I love it. <laughs> plan, do, walk away. Plan, do, walk away. And I'm not sure if anyone else has this issue, but it's a, a, almost a, um, uh, 
a common mistake specifically around strategy deployment because we have all these actions we want to do. We'll finish an action item, move on to the next one, say it was a Kaizen or an A3 that we finished, uh, and go on to the next one and not looking back. Um, and so you see like, you know, that it's, it's a huge change. And from a change management perspective, they need extra support now because they're changing. And a lot of times they get the least amount of support right after the change, uh, because you're already on something else. And all of a sudden they're left with this new world. They have no clue how to operate in it. And they just go back to the old way again. Yeah. Yeah. Mistake number eight, um, is getting into this lean journey specifically around deployment when you can't solve problems yet. Um, you haven't learned, you don't have the muscle to solve problems yet. You think you do, your uh, symptom, rea your, your reactive symptoms, you're not really doing any root cause here, uh, or some people are not doing root cause, but trying to tackle a massive problem when you don't know how to solve problems will only cause you to get strained um, and actually not go work out again. And so think about it when you go to the gym and you know you've, you haven't run forever. And so you decide to run two hours. You're not going to the gym again. You can only right. Yeah, you can walk out of the gym after that. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, exactly. Uh, but but then that's going to build the cynicism again, right? Because because all right. So they they took they decided they were going to take on you know what, whatever the massive problem was. Look, it was a massive disaster. Nothing actually happened. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so this stuff doesn't work. I can I can ignore it. So my advice here, and which is extremely hard for senior leaders to do, um, is to take a step back and say, let's do baby steps. What is a problem that we could solve right now? And let's learn how to solve it. And let's call it 20 pound. And mm -hmm. after we get used to a 20 pounder, let's go to a 30 pounder and then a 40 pounder. But if you give someone a hundred pounder and say, you need to do this, they're going to do it. They're going to strain their arm. They're not going to pick it up again. Um, and they're going to say, it's not a good tool. Um, and so, and you'll see a lot of cynicism that will come that, oh, it's rigid or it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not fit to our culture, or we need to adjust it because it doesn't work for us. And, and, and just a lot of excuses that come out of that. And that's also a really great way to see what, to, to actually make more of the system visible, right? Because mm -hmm. if you solve like a 20 pound problem, you may, you will probably impact something else in the system. And now you can start to see things that are connected that perhaps you didn't realize were connected before. So that's a good point. Yep. Yep. And the, the next one, um, mistake number nine is building this as, as a tool-based architecture. I talked a little bit about tools in another mistake that mm -hmm. I've done. Building this, uh, you, you get so fascinated by short-term gains because the tools are getting it to you that you feel like the tools work. And 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 really what you want to do is you want to, and, and it might work, but that's only a placebo effect. That's not, right, right. That's not reality. Um, and so um, what you really want to do is you want to build a principle-based architecture. Because if you build, I'll just give one example. If you build a daily management system and at the top, they're scrutinizing and cynical and you employed a daily management system, all you're doing is expediting the information to the top so they could criticize you faster. Uh, and so, <laughs> Nobody wants that. Yeah. But if you start with principles and saying, okay, um, I want to lead with humility I want to respect every individual. Let's use those two principles as an example. Okay, if I want to lead with humility and I want to respect every individual, in my performance engine, we'll call it the daily management system, in my current performance engine, what am I doing that violates those two? And go fix that piece of the system. Because at that point, you're getting into system design. And, um, and it's not tool-based. 
you're actually right. fixing the real issues, the systems that are producing the behaviors of cynicism, the behaviors of uh, scrutiny. Um, and so these are behaviors, but they're often off the wrong principle. The principle could be that you think you're a legend in your own head. And that's why when things go up to you, you think you are empowered that you're going to go tell them that they're wrong and you're right. Um, and so that's a flaw in thinking. And so, um, and so like flipping that around and saying, you know what? No, I'm not perfect. And I'm not a legend in my head. And I make so many mistakes. Let me go out there and ask people what I, I made 10 decisions yesterday. Tell me which ones are wrong. Um, invite that feedback uh, because what I'm trying to do is I want to demonstrate humility. That's why I'm doing it. I want to teach them what humility looks like. I want to teach them what respecting everyone individual looks like. And I'm using the daily management system to fertilize the soil around those two principles. But if I'm copying the board, um, then I'm I'm just going to be able to scrutinizing people faster. Right, right. Um, number 10, which is a very close one to that, is delegating Gimbalox. Um, a lot of times you'll see we're holding our managers. Did you do your waste walk? Did you do your patient rounds? Did you do your employee rounds? Did you do um, standard work observations? Um, but then the people on top, they could go a month without doing it. Um, and so, but they hold accountability at the front that they're doing it. And so everyone in the organization has to do it. And the people that have to do it the most are the people on the top, because those are the ones that are removed from the gimba. Those are the ones that are making decisions without understanding the reality. Um, and so it's critical for them to go out there and participate and not mix that up with buy-in. And it's very easy for a senior leader to get distracted with other things that senior leaders have to do, like go to board meetings or conferences or uh, participate in a due diligence and, and uh, not make time for this stuff. It, it can't be harder to get a senior leader at a table than a physician or a medical assistant who is occupying and taking care of patients. Right. Like, like there's something flawed in that where the people that don't right, have, right. the people, the people have, who are really making the difference, if you've got them at the table, then yeah, pony yeah. up some of your time too. Yeah. Exactly. And finally, I'm going to end with this as what I call the sustainment area. Uh, I mean, this, this is the most important, Mohammed. This really yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, because we commit, we assess, we deploy, now we have to sustain. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the first mistake I have made uh, in this is um, trying to rush it. Um, and, uh, and I wouldn't say I chose quantity, uh, quality, uh, quantity over quality, but I did. You know, how many areas could I roll out daily management? How many Kaizens could we do this year? Like I've done that and that that's flawed. Um, and so, and, and, and you get it also in organizations where people are like, when is this over? Um, mm -hmm isn't and so it you need to have a um a, a mindset that it's it's not a destination it's a journey um and uh if you treat it as a destination um then it, it will fail and that's the beauty of tools or assessment um uh, uh organizations like the shingo enterprise or the malcolm baldridge enterprise who are operational excellence leaders in assessing how are you as an organization uh, the shingle one leans more towards behaviors, at least from my experience. Um, the Baldridge ones leads more to uh, results. Okay. Um, and merging those two have benefits too, but what those two are really doing is creating a journey mindset. Um, it's not about getting the, the award. I don't care about the award. I care more about that it's opening my eyes to this 
gold standard that I could never reach, or it's aspirational, uh, so that I always have something that I'm chasing so that I could actually get better every right. day. And you're, you're always going to be moving into a different environment, um, new employees, you know, there's, there's always going to be new cha change happening. So to imagine that you're there, even if you were for one magical moment there, wherever there is, you're not going to be there for more than five minutes, right? Because something's going to change and you're going to have to keep going. Yeah, one of my large healthcare clients, it's a very sad story for me, but it, it is it is true. Um, I, 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 was, I'm, I was so proud of the efforts they made, the, the accomplishments they had. Um, they, a lot of people started visiting them because they were considered in their area the best. Um, and so we started having plant tours and we started going presenting at conferences and almost all the senior leaders in that organization started to present at conference about their lean efforts. And they realized that they're ahead of most people. Um, and so in their head, they've already gotten there. They've uh, done. And so, and, and that was their demise. Uh, it started to go downhill from there because they felt like now they are the lean people. Um, they're the ones that could tell everyone what lean, what good lean looks like. And they stopped evolving after that. Um, and if, wow. I, if you're not, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Yeah. The last two, one is around the rigid and spread. And, and, and when you start, if you want to sustain things, you also have to personalize these things. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying create variation, but there are intentional variations. If I did a daily management system with a physical board on a nursing unit, I might not be able to replicate that in a home care agency where they're on the road all day. There is no home yeah. for them. Um, and so a nurse in a home care agency are their, their gimba is in people's houses. And so, um, and so how do you get them around the board? So you might have to go to virtual technologies, but if you try to force it in a rigid way to say, no, it has to be all in person or it has to be X or it has to be Y and really not try to understand their reality, you're also going to not sustain it mm -hmm. once you away. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then finally, um, as there's 13, this is number 13 is, looking at your model um, and not adjusting it and not looking in the mirror to say, okay, how could I make this model better? It's the same problem we have with standard work when we eliminate standard work. Like it's, it's, we, it, it becomes, it paralyzes us. We think we got a standard. Now we have to police the standard and no one's making any changes anymore. Uh, and so just like any standard, you have to evolve that standard. And so um, a question I always ask um, leaders to look in the mirror and ask, hey, the operating model you have today, is there opportunities to fix it and make it better? Or is it how you're using it that needs to be better? Uh, because sometimes the system is fine. You're just not using it. And then you're right. blaming yourself for not working. And so you're saying daily management should empower people, but you're not doing any of your leader standard work. And you're saying daily management doesn't work. Um, and no, that's the daily management does work. You're just not using the system. I might have to mistake proof the system. So you have to do this so that the system doesn't become eroded over time. But when you, ha you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, how are you going to adjust the system uh, or the operating model that you have today? And that could and, be- And that might include, I love what you have on this slide where it says the fear of looking in the mirror, that might include, what are you going to have to adjust about yourself? Because you're not ever fully there yet either, yeah. um, you know? And it's like, I think particularly for healthcare, but for a lot of industries, you know, where it's like you're flying a plane into a storm all mm -hmm. the time. Right, you're flying a plane into a storm. There's going to be a wind gust from another direction. So you know you're going to have to you're going to have to keep adjusting, and um, yeah, that's that's so important. And I think it's um, 
I, I love what you're saying here about this idea of, of just like you, you're never really there. You've got to stay on the journey and you've you, the biggest mistake you can make. Well, uh, these are all important mistakes is, is to not adjust, you know, not. Well, that's why we talk about countermeasures and not, countermeasures and not solutions. You know, we forget okay. that, right? The countermeasure is only for, um, you know, if that particular environment, it's not. It's not when the environment changes. Yeah. And, and in all transparency, I had like 20 mistakes and I had to try to cut them down. I was trying to get them to 10 and I couldn't. <laughs> there's, so I... there's always more. There's always more. We're, we're free to make more mistakes. <laughs> wow. But you're, no, but you're, well, like, that is, 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 is key. And I, I think that as we, uh, as we evolve and look in the mirror, you know, there's a lot of other mistakes we make. We tell versus ask. Uh, like uh, there's, there's, there, there we, there's a lot. That's um, my favorite. Actually, I love to do that. Also, yeah. let me just tell you about this. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, unfortunately, and I, and I, and, and, and this was a mistake I had to take out, but like, if you're a lean practitioner, you're not in a place to give solutions. Um, you're not even in a place to give countermeasures. Um, you're in a place to only ask questions. And and so, um, and, and if you're the ones that are coming in with a cookie cutter a, a solution book of here's what you need to do, because um, there are consultant companies that do that, they come in, mm -hmm. and here's the playbook of how to be awesome. Um, and uh, and people look at it as a silver bullet solution and they drool all over it and just go with it and, and eat it up and it doesn't get them anywhere. Um, and so, uh, and then they're like, oh, that it's the consultant. So well, let's just say a different consultant. No. The journey that you're on is to think differently. It's not to copy solutions. So and it's it's to think differently. And it is also, and I'm thinking about, you know, so some famous, some famous organizations that have, you know, got gone a long way and then it's all evaporated. It's not just for you to think differently, it's for the whole organization to think differently. So that as you are developing people, when you leave, there's somebody who is able to step in and continue to drive in that direction because how many organizations have we seen mohammed where there's been uh you know a fabulous famous lean deployment it looks great like you said the plant tours the workshops all the rest of it the ceo retires or goes to become a consultant the whole thing collapses and, and that is i think because it's not built into the succession plan. You talked a little bit, of, you know, about succession planning and development, but but how critical is that? And that's the difference, I think, with a company like Toyota, which is all about, you know, how do we keep developing people who can step into these roles? Um, and if you're going to bring in somebody from the outside into those roles, which is not a wrong thing to do, are they also do they understand the system that we that we're driving towards? Yeah, yeah. I had um, a, a, a conversation this morning, a, a little bit aligned to that, and uh, and I and I to ask the leader as um, who's your successor. And they're like, I don't have one right now. I said, okay, well, a, a small exercise. Anybody could do this. It's very simple. Okay. You leave today, take each one of your staff members that directly report to you and say, they're going to take my job tomorrow. Okay. What are you worried about if they take your job tomorrow? Um, and that's their skill gap. And, mm -hmm. and, all right. You have your playbook now. Like you have your roadmap. Go for it. Like, uh, and, and, uh, so do that with every single one of your direct reports. If you're the CEO, look at all your senior vice presidents. If you're a senior vice president, look at your vice presidents. If you're a vice president, look at your directors. Um, and, and ask yourself that question. If I leave now, tomorrow, if this person takes my job, what would I be worried about? Um, and, um, and have that conversation or even better, 
ask that employee if tomorrow you take my job what do you uh, or that direct report if I if, if I if you take my job tomorrow what would you be concerned about um and, and great that, question it is it is and, and and that gets to the heart of people development and and that's why I put it as one of the four systems in the beginning of the the conversation today because it's never talked about um it's uh, it's almost like a nice to have but in, honestly it's the most important system out of the four Right, right, right. It's what it's what really drives sustaining. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so Mohammed, we've had a we've had a great conversation. I know that we could continue talk, you know, talking for a long time. <laughs> um, I, I just tell us uh, where can people find you. Oh well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. LA, uh, that's my, the easiest way to find me. Um, and uh, I would just, or you could email me at Saleh at vizllc.com. Um, or you could go on my website, um, viz, V-I-Z, as in zebra, LLC.com, and uh, it'll it'll bring you to uh, uh, my consulting company page. That's, uh, that's, that's great. So, so tell me, now that you have, you've, you've looked at this and you're looking at this issue of burnout and, and systems that can help prevent burnout, thinking about a young person starting out, heading into this world of work, what would be your advice to them? I'm going to give you more than one. Um, okay, go ahead. Every time I pick one, I change it. Because <laughs> um, there's so much advice when you're new. Um, I would say learn how to ask questions. Mm, good advice. Like, 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 like all the lean tools you could learn. Well, that I, we could all teach you. Um, and But the, the bigger piece is um, really learn how to ask questions. Uh, there's a book called Humble Inquiry, which is one of my favorite top five books of all right. time. Book. great uh, book yeah and uh, Edgar Shine and uh, really does a phenomenal job in that book um he's written a few others too that I'm a big fan of but in that just the, the art of asking questions um the one I was gonna say though was not that uh, the one I was gonna say is um learn how to have discipline around principles um if there's something you could do pick a principle like in my world because a lot of times i start with daily management because it's kind of the sustainment of everything that i do afterwards um i start with not daily management i start with i want to create a system to help um empower people and engage people so i could reduce cynicism that's the purpose what i want to do in that is i want to focus on two principles borrowing it from the shingo institute the two cultural enablers to enable a culture to be successful is leading with humility and respecting every individual let's analyze every one of your systems and figure out which ones are violating those two principles and what behaviors you want to produce differently than you're producing today to teach people what those two principles look like and how you behave in those two principles um and if you're not in love with the principles um, the tools will become very easy for you to fall in love with uh, because they are fun. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and if it's standard work or 5S or, or, or any of them, like they're fun. Kaizen's and value stream, they're, they're all fun. Um, and, but if it's, if it's not rooted in principles, then really all your effort is just going to be washed down. Right. You just find yourself in the middle of a LinkedIn argument about whether it's 5S or 6S. And exactly. Exactly. You're not going to help anybody. Yeah. Both both 5S and 6S don't create immediate recognitions to abnormalities, but hey, we're having the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and why are we creating immediate recognition for abnormality is because we're trying to respect every individual. Right. Because that, their time is precious and they've dedicated it to us. And so we have to be able to use it wisely. That's something teacher owner would say a lot. So. Right, right. So, so the learn to ask questions, and um, 
principles. Principles. Like yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Discipline I love it. Principles. Discipline around principles. Yeah. That's I, I love it. That's really, really excellent advice. Well, Mohammed Saleh, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of Lean. And just reminded everybody, um, if you want to see Mohammed's slides, um, you can check out this podcast also on YouTube, and uh, we will make sure that they're available to you um, in the show notes. So uh, thanks again. It's been great having you. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for everyone. And thank you especially for making this happen. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Mohamed Saleh for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. Find Mohamed on LinkedIn or look for him at a Lean conference. He's the guy with the hat. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the Edges of Lean. Please join me in exploring more of the Edges of Lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.